0: Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. We are here with our remarkable producer, Nathan Yoder, and we're in, in person with the illustrious co-host, Aaron Mercer. Aaron, how you
1: doing? <laughs> you haven't called me illustrious, illustrious in a while, Peter. I'll take it. Yeah, hey. I know. What do you think about? We should get comments on what we think about about well, the nickname. Right?
0: Well, before we throw to John, you know, yeah. uh, we got John Keller. He <laughs> is the lead and teaching pastor. Or, he'll probably tell you basically what he does, but leadership development and teaching pastor at Northgate, uh, free Methodist church. It's in Batavia, not too far from here. John's going to answer the question. Why are Christians more generous than we think? I don't know if we need to intro it anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great, I think it's a great question. I think we're going to have a good conversation here. Um, you no, know, I love, I love this topic. I think it's an important one that, uh, you know, we need to be asking and it's not something I think it is something that people don't always think about or always see. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited to get the, the lens, uh, here. And, and I know we've actually hit on this, you know, just a little promo of past podcasts here. We've hit on this a little bit on, you know, we had the, uh, it was about last year around this time, right? We had RFM and open door mission and whatnot. So it's a good theme. So, yeah. um, so, we haven't met. Right. Uh, I know you've met Peter before, but can you, for me and for the listeners, can you give us a little bit more detail about how you got to
2: the seats you're in right now? Yeah. Wow. I am i don't know how I got to this particular seat, <laughs> but I'll give you the, the general seat. Because I, you know, I'm the quintessential, like, grew up in a Christian family at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, and it was a big part of my life, but it was no part of, like, my own heart and my commitment, you know, and I very much did my own thing, went my own way. Um, I went to college i would like to say they will probably deny this i feel like i'm a roberts success story roberts wesleyan now university uh, in rochester where i came i was not a christian uh, my parents would not help pay for college unless i went to a christian school so i came in very much not a christian um, i left uh, five years later because I, I had some uh, delays as somebody on the way to becoming a pastor and so um, it was an ugly few years. Uh, I got kicked out. I had a lot of issues there, but I ultimately became a Christ follower while I was there and left, you know, uh, to go to seminary and become a pastor. So they don't want to claim me as a success story and that's okay. Uh, but in a lot of ways I think I am because they really, that, um, that chapter of life turned my life around and changed the trajectory of it. So I've worked for churches since I was 19. I started I was working as an after school program um, right there by Roberts and was at at Pierce for a while and then at another free Methodist church and I've been at Northgate. Uh, It'll be 12 years next week. Uh, So it's been a great ride. And yeah, friends with Pete and we had coffee and just chatted and he said, hey, you got to come do the podcast. And we kind of talked about my church and some of the heart of my church and that kind of led to the topic that we're at today well and just to let our listeners know i said
0: i, I said to john i said pick any topic and he's like i want to talk about this yeah. so he like picked this so why don't you give our listeners uh, a little bit of context because at the church that you serve, you have an international partnership with Rwanda. Yeah. Um, You said pre-interview, you're like, I could talk about this for an hour. We might let you, we'll see, (laughs) but- uh, Well, if
2: it's good, if it's interesting. If my wife was here, we could for sure talk about it for an hour (laughs) because she's at least as passionate about it as I am. So we have this, you know, and it was kind of birthed in a lot of ways. Andy Stanley has a quote of, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And when you look at your missions budget and you look at all the problems in the world, and it's easy to just be like, well, what can we really do? You know, what can we do? There is so much need and so much hurt and so, you know, just so many places where we could invest. And you get overwhelmed by that. And the the thought was, let's just dive in in one place. What if we just change the world in one place? And so uh, through a connection with International Child Care Ministries, which is a Free Methodist thing, it's, you know, a, a sponsorship program we got connected uh with a community over there and this was in 2017. and so we get connected and it starts with just let's have as many of our people sponsor kids as possible i mean there are kids living on 24 a day on average you know and so 30 a month sponsorships go a pretty long way in that um in that environment and so we started to do that and had about 150 people you know jump in and say we'll sponsor a kid so it became personal right away and It just kind of grew from there. We sent our first team there. And from that point forward, I think the church was hooked. You know, everyone was hooked. We sent, really worked out well. Uh, We sent an incredible photographer on that first trip. It's our operations director. And he brought home pictures that just moved everyone's hearts so deeply. And everybody, even though they hadn't been there, began to feel really invested. So we just started to put opportunities in front of people. You know, we had our facilities guy build a replica desk of what they had. Mm. This school was 1,265 kids, and they had four or five kids sitting at these desks. And so we had him build one. We said, Mike, can you build this? He built a perfect replica. We brought it up on stage, and we had a kid sit there. Then we had two kids sit there, and they're, they're pretty comfortable. And we said, this is what they're made for. Then we've added a third kid, a fourth kid, a fifth kid. And these kids are on our stage wrestling around trying to get in there. And we're so, this is how they're trying to learn. And people are like, man, that's, that's no good. That won't do. Said for this much, we can send the material, like the money to buy the material so that no more than two kids sit at a desk. And it was a lot of money. Done. That day, Done. And uh, that was like the beginning of kind of the outpouring of generosity. It was the same thing with uniforms of saying, hey, uniforms are have and have not thing. It's kind of a class system in a way. This much money, every kid in the school has a uniform. And same thing, that day was done. And so it's been time and time again with buildings, new libraries. We just built a new sanctuary there. We send the money. They do the work, um, but every time an opportunity is presented, and we have clear things, right? It's a tangible thing. We send money over, and within a month, we've got videos coming back of that building being built. So our people see like an immediate return on investment, and um, it's just been overwhelming. And every Sunday that we've had that we've done that, we have exceeded our regular giving and also gotten you know had 20,000 come in for desks which for me I'm always looking at that right did people say I'll just put my tithe this way no they're they're tithing and then they're giving on top of that in generosity of saying this is something that we can help be a part of and so it's been incredible and God has blessed that community uh, beyond belief uh, the school system went from the worst in the district to the best just this year they had I think it was five students be the first five to move on to university from that town it's never happened um, but we were able to really raise the level of the school system just by financially investing by partnering with them making it a place people wanted to work feeding the teachers you know helping that feeding the students and it has been incredible on a practical level and then spiritually it's been probably even better. The church was 150 people in 2017. The sanctuary we just built was because they're like 850 a week now. And it just wasn't, 850 doesn't fit into the 150 building very well. So God has uh, just blessed it incredibly. And our church, if you ask somebody, what do you love about Northgate? So many of them are going to say, I love what we do with Rwanda. Mm. And almost all of them have not been there. It's It's 24 hours of travel to get somebody there. And most of them will never go, but they are invested deeply. And it's I, really cool. I was gonna
1: ask, is that I mean, I'm sure during the pandemic especially it would be really hard to travel. Yeah. Um, but is there an ongoing uh, personal connection to like have you had people who have gone over there, have yes. made the twenty four hours, and have they come have yes. they come to you too? Or
2: yes. Uh, yeah. So we've had some people, we've had a FOSS who has our, our primary connection there. He's come here. We've sent several teams there. We have a team leaving in two weeks. And, you know, every time they go, we bring them in front of the church and we pray for them. And it's, you know, we're all sending them. And every time they come, Uh, when my wife and I were there, it, it was probably the most overwhelming experience of my life, separate from my children being born. When we got there, it was maybe a half a mile, the roads were just lined with all of these kids and they were singing, they had our picture and they, this, what they've seen, the change they've seen in their community, they know like, like, hey, Northgate is a part of this. And so when you come, it's like, it was like, we were the heroes. Now we're like, Hey, we're not, you know, we're just here. We love you guys, but man, we walked up this path and they're singing the whole way. And they're, you know, thanking us. And mm-hmm. it was just overwhelming. I mean, it just, I was in tears before we got out of the car. And so I'm excited. We have people going in two weeks that have never gone. And I'm so excited for them to to see the village, to see just their gratitude, um, how much they love us. You know, there's. Northgate stuff all over there, you know, and they have different uh, signs. We have people, they've dedicated buildings after. Um, you know Ruth Logan, uh, who a lot of people around Rochester know. she's was a, a leader at Roberts uh, for a long time. The sanctuary is named in her honor and has mm-hmm. her picture there. And so it's, I mean, the other side of the world, and they know Northgate because Northgate loves them, and and it's it's been incredible. So, what, so uh, hold on one second. Yeah, go ahead, Peter. Um, you, you go. You're like this I'm, is why I'm you're the fired perfect. Up. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So
0: I don't want to put water on this fire, but yeah. I do because our listeners might be wondering hey another story of a church trying to save an area yeah and you kind of open the door like what what do you think 19 year old John who got kicked out of Roberts mm. like if you were engaging him about this topic and even what what's changed in you about generosity and money because I I think some people would probably say this is too good to be true yeah other people are kind of saying this is like a PR thing, like help the skeptic out there kind of
2: understand yeah. and engage that. Yeah. Well I think um, I mean first we're we are, you know, recognize the white savior complex issue. And and I would say the biggest thing is these people are hardworking and they do all the work we're supplying what we can supply which is money they supply everything else they these uh men and women they show up they work hard they build these buildings and and, I mean and they they do not lack for work ethic or effort but what they can't afford is the supplies and so as soon as we can get trucks starting to show up with the supplies they do the work and it's really we call it a partnership and it really is and i would say and i think our church in general would say we have benefited more than they have our giving in that time has exploded because we haven't held on tightly we've you know we have had so much it, we could look and say how much money have we given there and it's it's a good amount like what could we have used that for we have stuff we could use it for but that's not really how the heart of God works. And so we've been generous and and the money has flowed through us and it has benefited the church um, incredibly. Like, I feel like we're on the winning end of this. Like, it's not like, oh, you guys are so lucky we're here. We push, I went when we were there, you know, I did not want to be that. I wanted to be the opposite of that. I was just grateful to experience that. And it's humbling because you're sitting, I mean, we would sit in some houses that were not too much bigger than this this table, you know, the size of my walk-in closet. And they would ask how they could pray for us. And they would pray that God would bless us. And they meant it, you know? And there they are on dirt floors with, you know, I mean, if, if you had a house the size of my garage, you'd be the richest person in the village. And mm. they were praying, we pray that God blesses you and that God gives you health and he gives you strength. and Man, it was humbling. It was really really humbling to to see that and to see how content they are, how joyful they are. Um I mean really how much they have so much less than us and they have so much more at the same time. I mean the the contentment and the joy, the the spirit that they worship in was was a freedom that, you know, I've never experienced anywhere else. And that it puts something together in your mind that I think is inherent to the gospel message of well, it must be money and stuff doesn't make you happy, because mm-hmm. I have a lot more money and stuff, and nowhere near the joy that they have, you know. And in general, culture-wise, like our culture is when we came back, you come back from there and you go to Wegmans, and it's just like it's overwhelming to mm-hmm. see all of all that we have, and at the same time, we struggle so much. You know, we struggle with contentment, we struggle with joy, and and so that in my mind uh, because my bent is materialism I love stuff I love new stuff I love shiny stuff I like to spend money and you come back from something like that and you just think well there's something more there's something more at work because I have money and stuff and money and stuff isn't making me happy so the idea that more money and more stuff would make me more happy it doesn't work. It doesn't line up. So, so hold on. So what would eighteen-year-old John think? Yeah, oh, I don't he know. he let you off the hook. Yeah, yeah. Go back to him. I don't know what he was thinking in general. Um, yeah, I think, I think you know, even though the faith wasn't really personal to me then, I think I would still recognize that good was being done, and maybe I would question, like, oh, what's your what's your motive there? Like, does that make you feel good? It. There's a part. Yeah. I mean, when I see, when we get pictures and videos back and we see the way this community has changed, yeah, it feels good. It's not why I do it. I don't do it. I'm not like chasing endorphins from that. I'm doing it because I think our God is generous and he is a giver and he calls on us to be givers. And, and then we see that. We see the impact. And That, I think, is one of the biggest things that's gone well with this. is a lot of time with missions, you just feel like you're throwing money in a hole and you're hoping for the best, and you trust the missionaries that you're supporting. And I'm not bad-mouthing anyone uh, in that, but you don't really see a return on investment where here we have, again, within a month usually, we're showing a video during our worship services of here's the sanctuary that you were giving to three weeks ago. Here's the foundation of it, and here's how it looks, and that's hard to beat because people like to feel like hey i gave money to this and now i see this result from it
1: so let me you i think you started to answer this already um but let me rewind just a little bit uh you know what made you you, you mentioned the heart of god and yeah. and um god's a giving god and wants us to share with others i mean but let rewind a little bit too you mentioned how you you partnered with International Child Care Ministries. Um, but what made you even, what made your church even want to go look for that in the first place? What yeah. was what was it that kind of fired you up to want to partner with a certain project? Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great question. So um, when our current senior pastor, he was an associate pastor there. His name's Vern. Great guy. He's been a, a wonderful mentor to me. He was an associate pastor. He left and he came back and he said, what are we doing for missions? And we were a decent sized church. And we're like, well, we got some missionaries we support. It's like, anybody going on to missions trips? We're like, no, we do it. And, and our, our, it, was, it was true to our mission statement, which was bring and build. Bring people to Jesus Christ and build them up in that relationship. It's one of the more center, like self-focused missions you'll ever hear from a church. And again, it's a great church, but that's what it was. It was about us. And we're, you know, kind of building a, a castle and not a kingdom. And he was like, man, this, I don't think that, I don't think that's it. I think there's more. And so we changed it to bring, build, and send, bring people to Jesus Christ, build them up in that relationship, send them out to show his love. You know, it was like, it's, it's stopping here and it's supposed to keep flowing out. So then that became a, a really, when we added it to the mission statement, it was aspirational, but it became, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to send? How are we going to send people? How are we going to send resources? How are we going to impact the world outside of just this church? Because it's. I think it's really easy to build a castle in ministry today. Not easy. I mean, it it. it it's hard, but it becomes easy to be focused in that way of saying, how can we make this building, this community bigger and better? And, and you know, that had been our focus. So that was a really intentional shift. Um, there was another church in the area that had started at their own connected community. And so uh, Vern went to an informational night about that, and he just kind of heard them talk about it. And he, you know, we started praying about it and said, God, is this what you have for us? And then when we said yes, they partnered us with the village. And from that point forward, it was like, that's our dot on the map. I mean, it's this tiny little place, it's a lot of kids, but they're coming from like four miles mm-hmm. to walk to the school. So it's not in a city. When you stay there, you stay in a hotel 15, 20 minutes away, you drive in, drive up the mountain. It could not be more remote, but that's our place. And mm-hmm. uh, God made that clear. To the leadership, you know, and then kind of filtered out to the church. So I'm a little bit more the tough guy
0: because Aaron's like super passionate, which I love. And when Aaron gets more passionate than me, that's a great episode. But <laughs> so, so here, here's kind of what I'm trying to process because I, mm-hmm. you're very thoughtful, just even the way you've engaged this. So some people would sit there and say, "You live in Batavia. It's one of the most." It's not necessarily the best place to live in upstate New York, and I'm from Binghamton. Shots fired. Well, Binghamton's probably worse than Batavia, but you know, like, there's a lot of needs there. Yeah, and you, Batavia is between Buffalo and Rochester. Yeah. So, how do you manage the tension of we are going to do for one that we can't do for everyone, but we are geographically located here. Yeah. How do it? So how How have you, as a leader in a church, managed that tension?
2: Yeah. Well, I think I think if you ignore all, you ignore one and just focus all on the other, like either way, it's going to be bad. So, I mean, we do, you know, when you talk about your community itself, I think you have to engage that mission wise too. And we do a lot. Um, We partner with our local Salvation Army because they, they are incredible. I'm on the board at Salvation Army of Genesee County, incredible people, incredible leaders, and really care well for our community. So that has been what we've done, both like helping them financially, helping them with, with uh, volunteer hours and stuff. Um, We did a Bunch with them over the pandemic. It was one of the best parts of the pandemic. We would we have a big parking lot, and we were getting food in from Food Link, and would have four to five hundred people line up in their cars, and we would fill their cars with food. I mean, it wasn't like two grocery bags; it was boxes full of food, and people were set for a couple of weeks. And so, um, we try really well to love our community as well. Because yeah, if you see that. Like, what good does that do a kid in Batavia School District that doesn't have breakfast when we are making sure kids in Rwanda have breakfast, right? And so you we really have to meet both needs. I think that's the, the Jerusalem, Judea, and, and around the world. Like, you have to try and make sure that you're not saying, hey, look at this. We changed this community when we are also in a community that, that has a lot of needs. So we, we try to come at it both ways. But I'm sure there are people, I know there are people in Batavia that are hurting And would also think, like, man, we could really benefit from that. There are hungry kids in our own community. And so it can be tough, you know, to say, hey, we're doing this around the world. And that's a huge thing. I I think, you know, Batavia is a really interesting place because it is hugely rural. It's an urban area that is surrounded by really rural places. And so it's a very unique community. um, And people, are really aware of the needs there. And like with Salvation Army, one of the things, you know, when you give at Christmas, when you put your money in the red kettle, it stays in Genesee County. And people, they really love that. You know, it's not, they're not like, oh, heck with Rochester and Buffalo, but they're like, we have needs here. And so mm-hmm. people are inspired by that to give, knowing that it will help the kids, their kids go to school with, you know, and things like that.
1: Are you So <clears throat> I think it's interesting, Peter's question there, in the way you answered. The premise there is that you should give in the first place, mm-hmm. um, and so I guess I'm I'm trying to dig in maybe a little bit more in the heart of that too. Why Peter asked us at the you know with his with his uh, first question too, like you know is it? I think the skeptic could think is it just a sideshow? Is it a or is there some other motivation? Someone might also wonder like why should I support? Um, an institution. I'm not sure where that money is going. Right. Is it all going to the salary of some big right. leader or something? Who knows? But so, you know, how how have you, with the partnership that you're doing, either locally or abroad, um, how have you, you know, gotten people to see that, you know, it's it's good to be giving to these causes yeah. out of our hearts? Um, why, should, why should they care about it? Why should I care? Why should yeah. I give the money? Um, you know, how do you get past that. And I, I think a, a connected question that I had earlier when you were talking is have you seen this change giving patterns amongst different, you know, different age groups or different, you know, People that weren't giving before, the right. whatever age group they are, you know, what have you seen change over yeah. time?
2: Well, I'll, let me answer that first, and then we'll go into the other part, because I think we have seen a lot of people that were not necessarily invested as givers, as tithers, be invested in this. Mm. And again, I think it, it's the practical nature of it. Like, it's not really fun to give to your church's electric bill. You know, and like a lot of that is, there's a lot of overhead in a church and, you know, salaries and insurance and all that. And that's, that's, you know, it has to happen, but that doesn't really inspire somebody like giving clothes and food to kids that don't have it, you know, particularly kids across the world that are these beautiful kids and you see their picture and your heart's moved and you're like, I'm going to help that kid. So we have seen people uh, that were not engaged as givers really become inspired and moved by that, which is, it was interesting. Um, and then again, some of our, our, you know, regular tithers and people that really financially support the church have also done that. Um, but I think, Remind me of the first part of the question. Why? Now, why give? Why? Why? Why yeah, should they well,
1: even even think care enough to it, give?
2: It's if you're if you are trying to, if you're using your one and only life to try and follow Jesus, then I think that is inherent to who we are. Mm-hmm. I think God is generous. Like God is a giver. John 3, 16, the whole gospel centers on God being a giver. And hopefully we're trying to trying to get our people to a point where we see God calls us to be generous because he wants something for us, not because he wants something from us. You know, I stand up there on stage and, you know, whenever I'm preaching about tithing, I want to make sure we're, we're doing it when, when things are good and when our church is been so generous in this way. I don't want to have like four bad weeks in a row giving wise. And then we're going to talk about tithing because anybody's going to be like, oh yeah, of course you're talking about tithing. You're struggling right now. And so I always want to make sure, you know, like, hey, we're not talking about this because our budget isn't balanced. We're doing great. This is good. We talk about that because we know that God wants something from us, not just something for us. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't need my money. God God doesn't need my money to make any of this happen. He could have turned that village around and not let us be a part part of it, not let us have the blessing from being generous and from seeing that. And so there is, you know, I think that's inherent to to the life that is truly life. You know, that, that God offers us is this generosity, mm-hmm. not just holding what I have. You know, I worked hard for what I have, can do it. But, you know, there's that that generosity. It's uh, John Ortberg says generosity is the perfect antidote to greed. And, and that's what God wants for us. That's why if, if we're trying to follow him, if you're saying, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, this is what I'm doing then i think generosity really has to flow out of that and it can be tough right that can be that can be the last thing for some people that gets converted it's our it's our heart and our head and then you know it's it's the wallet is the third thing where we say okay god i'm going to trust you with this even with what i've worked hard for even with what i have i'm going to trust you with that and i think when we do god really opens up some doors for us of just saying, okay, now you're starting to get it. Now I can show you what I have for you. That isn't just me hanging on tight to what I've been given. Why are people scared to talk about money? Oh man, because it has our hearts. I think because for a lot of us, it has our hearts, you know, and that's why God wants us to talk about money. God doesn't want anything uh, to have our hearts more than he does. And so it can be hard, you know, it can be really tough when I'll, I'll push people on that sometimes and they'll say, well, I just, I don't trust the church with my money. I said, well, you know, you you trust us with your kids. So is that like, that's okay? Like that's, you, you better know somebody somewhat well before you, you use that there. Uh-huh. But you give us your kids for an hour plus a week, but you don't trust us with your money. Like let's really wrestle with with what has your heart. And we have this concept of it, it's mine, you know, that's either you believe Psalm 24, you know, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, or we think, wow, this is mine. I worked hard for that. And again, I'm not, I'm not mocking that. We work hard for the money that we have, um, but we also believe all of it comes from God. And so when God asks us to be a part of something, we don't hold it back and we say, okay, God, we're, we're going to trust you with this, but it's tough. And I think it's one of the things is you always hear that message from pastors and people are skeptical because they're thinking I work on commission and if you give this much I get that much more cuz I convinced you um and and frankly a lot of churches a lot of leaders have been not financially responsible with other people's money like we've seen it over and over and you see you know somebody saying oh you got to give you got to give and then I'm you know I'm going out on my yacht on the weekend and you're like that's particular, you know, that's hard to swallow. So I do think some of the skepticism is deserved, but I think a lot of it's just because it has our hearts and it really hits close to home when we hear that. Do you see
0: generational differences with kind of relationship with money?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I I see generational differences, particularly with institutional skepticism. You know, there is a generation, uh, there are some people that are at our church because it's a free Methodist church and they're, they're mostly older. There are people at our church that don't even know it's a free Methodist church, you know, and they're mostly younger. So there is definitely this like generational slide of from like institutional, um, it was institutional credibility, and now it's institutional liability if you're attached to a, a big organization. Um, but giving-wise, you know, I don't know. I see um, we have a lot of older people who are generous, but I think also they're in a position to be more generous, you know? Um but we see, I see younger people that are, are giving, and maybe the number isn't the same. You can go to the widow's mite and talk about that, um, but they're being generous with what they have. And I think that's really important to grasp. Generosity is not about your net worth. It's not about your income. It's it's a mindset, and it's, it's a heart of gratitude that allows you to be generous. You know, if you're not generous when you make 30 grand, you won't be generous when you make 300 grand. Like, you just, you won't. Like, that's statistically proven that if you don't do that um, when you have a little, you you won't when you have a lot more. So yeah, I don't know that I see particular trends, um, but I do see younger people really wanting to make an impact. You know, whether that's younger um, millennials and Gen Z, they want, they really want to feel like they're doing something. You know, they've grown up seeing so many things. I mean, they've been such a digital, you know, generation their entire existence and they've seen so much need. And I really think they want to feel like I'm having a part in that. Even if it's my $30 a month sponsorship, you know, I'm doing something that kids pictures on my fridge and it's just a reminder that I'm, you know, I'm a part of that. So that, that does encourage me. It encourages me as they progress in their careers and have more money that hopefully that generosity that was started when they didn't have a lot carries on when they have more.
1: Mm. No, that's really good. And I, I loved Peter's question there too. And I've, um, you know, I've, I've seen data, I've heard stories, of. There is a generationally, there is a, you know, and and it'd be interesting to know why this is the case, but, uh, maybe the giving habit is not as strong amongst some younger generations than, than others. Now, the question could be, did those older generations become better givers later anyways? Um, you know, I, I, don't know if there's longitudinal studies on that or not, but I, I think, um, Well, the question I want to ask is what, you know, if people are, this gets to where Peter was going, I think earlier, if people are skeptical, um, they're not sure they can trust the institution. Yeah. Um, how do what would you recommend to them as a a next step they should take? Like, Oh, let me back up. What are they missing? First of all, by not engaging. And then if they really wanted to kind of experiment a little bit, like with this whole giving thing. What would be a next step for them?
2: Yeah, I mean, I wish what I wish their next step could be is that we could get on a plane and go to Rwanda because you, you know, that would be that's an expensive way to find out, but it would change, it would really change their hearts. Um, I would encourage people to, you know, one, do your do your research, like make sure, yeah, make sure you're not given to something where sixty percent of it's going to overhead, right? Do your research and make sure that you're being smart about that. but if you feel like that, if you're skeptical, give to a place that, that's not going to benefit you or the person that's asking you to give. Hmm. You know, And I know pastors that have encouraged their people to tithe to a different church for like, just do it, just give and see if God works. It's the only place, You know, Malachi 3 is the only place where God really opens the door and says, test me. Hmm. Test me and see, be generous, like see if I'm not gonna throw open the floodgates. And so, yeah, if you don't trust me, which, you know, that's tough because if you're saying that I'm your pastor, again, we're caring for your kids, we're kind of guiding you spiritually, but you don't trust me with your money. I'm going to push you that your money has your heart. But if you feel like that, well, then then let's set something up with, with the Salvation Army. And I can, you know, I'll take you down there. We'll walk through. We can show you the books and, and show you what small percentage goes to overhead versus is going to feeding and clothing our community. Um, but find something like that, And, you know, then I'm not benefiting from it. And just see how God does that. See how God handles it. See how God blesses you. See if you find the money that you have to go farther when you actually trust him uh, with what, you know, he's asking you to, to give and to do so. Yeah, hopefully that it's a hard thing. Skepticism is a hard thing to overcome because you can always find more reason for it. You know, you can always I'm a pastor. I just spent the last week in California with my family. Now my wife is uh very successful in her career and we manage our money well, but I think there's people that are probably like, "Man, you take nicer vacations than me. So why am I supposed to give to the church?" you know? And and that comes back to I think an education thing, right? We're not giving they're not giving to my salary. We're giving because God called us to to be givers, and we're tithing because that's our responsibility as the people that are moving this church forward. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and to kind of go back to our question because we've we haven't like hit it di- like we've hit it directly, but we haven't like brought it up because yeah, we've run you're, around you're, it. Yeah, yeah, so why are Christians more generous than we think? You know, I just pulled up a few statistics that. Christians, there's approximately $145 billion yeah. given, um, which is a lot. Um, and then some percentages say that Christians outpace uh, giving in general by 20%. And I don't want to just ask why do you think that is, but I think where, where I'd like to kind of see you settle is, you know, we live in this, like, it's all about the facts. It's all about right. the... And, I mean, you can pretty much go to... Christian organizations and non-Christian organizations they'll all tell you that Christians give more. Right. Like what is the hypocrisy the biggest block or cuz we're not having like a fruitful con- and I'm, right. I I don't want to sound like a home teamer they're like you're a pastor but on the other hand it's like hey there's a
2: lot you can knock Christians right. with. But this doesn't seem, I don't know. Well, in most of the studies that we needed a good study, right, in our favor, right? (laughs) Most of the studies that come out, you read the stats and you're like, oh boy, but this was a good one. This was good (laughs) for us. But I think it's surprising because people know Christians you know ask like show that survey show that data to waiters and waitresses that work sunday afternoon because they will almost universally tell you so worst time to work they're treated the worst by the post-church crowd they're small tips you know you've got people that are like oh yeah we love jesus oh yeah the heart we get heart of generosity and then they leave a dollar tip to a single mom who's not waitressing for fun she's doing it because she's got a family to provide for and i've had so many interactions with that where you know we'll get together i'm with a bunch of christian leaders and somebody will say hey you know hey we're gonna pray for the meal in a minute can we pray for you like to the waiter or waitress and i think that's great i'm not beating that up it's an uh, it's an open door but when that happens i say everyone's doubling their tip now because we're not going to say hey we're christians we're christians and then leave them a two dollar tip on a on a huge bill so i think things like that christians have portrayed ourselves in a bad light and we have not necessarily shown ourselves to be generous uh, with other people socially, uh, you know, financially, and a bunch of different things. And people say, you know, yeah, I know some Christians. So you know, maybe they must, they're gonna try and justify it, say they must not be the generous ones. But I do think sometimes there are people that are generous and they're giving to Rwanda. And then maybe they are like not that generous to the waitress that waits on them after church. And I really think we have to be conscious of that. You know, that's, I think, a weight, We carry as pastors, of like people are always going to perceive more. by what I do than just for me, you know? It's like, are you one of those pastors? They're trying to figure that out about us. And I think Christ followers in general, I think if you're gonna put a, a Jesus bumper sticker on your car, you better drive like a Christian, you know? And I think <laughs> if you're gonna put a track down as with your tip, that better be a huge tip because yes, that waiter needs Jesus, but he also needs to pay off his student loans and that's why he's actually there. And so I think we have to be really mindful of that and I don't know that we have. And so, you know, Christians get a lot of bad PR and we can say that the world's all against us but I think we we have to wear a fair amount of that as well.
1: Peter is laughing because he knows he can't have a bumper
0: sticker like that on his car.
2: Neither can I. There is <laughs> nothing <laughs> indicating my faith on my vehicle.
0: Sorry Peter. I did get a uh, worse driver in high school. but hey, go <laughs> ahead. Uh, Anyways Aaron go right ahead. Just a yeah. No I think it's a
1: I think it's a fascinating um, conversation and uh, you you raised some really interesting points there um i think that's why this is an important conversation to have because i mean it is really interesting that the the data is there if people want to find it right um but there seems to be kind of a roadblock to that conversation and it's not i think at the end of the day we're not trying to like have a have a pat me on the back because we're we're, that's not the whole but good for us right exactly like oh we did something right or something like that you know um I think there's it it tells a story that if people would would be willing to dig in a little bit more they might see that there's more of a heart there i think that's where my questions were coming for you too like um you know it it feels like there's a there's a heart that drives your your parishioners to want to be involved in rwanda and it's all over the salvation army um and then it sounds to me, and you kind of, you started to hit on this a little bit in your in your conversation, but there's things that, that people might miss out on if they don't try to engage it a little bit. Yeah. Like, um, it's easy to, it's easy to just kind of, and I get it. There's so much that we see that we can be skeptical about, especially when we're hit by it all the time on social right. media or wherever, but then, but if you don't, if you don't, try just a little bit to get involved with something. Maybe it's not even a church, or it's not even a right. Christian ministry, but it could be your United Way, or it could be your homeless shelter down the street, or um, I don't know, just maybe just making a maybe making it something in your heart that, you know, I would, if I see somebody who needs help getting that hamburger, I'm just going to go help them and just see what happens. Right. But so, you know, you kind of started to talk about, like, what people might, miss, might be missing in terms of seeing God work in their lives— what, maybe dig in, in that a little bit, yeah. what what immediately do you think they might see? Like what, even if they don't even know is God working in them yet, but yeah. what, what might they see?
2: Yeah, I think even separate, like I think what Jesus wants for us is to have hearts of gratitude and contentment. And I think that's inherent to who he is and what he wants for us. But if you wanna separate faith from that, I think that that generosity flows out of and, and then increases hearts of, of contentment and hearts of gratitude. And so if I'm going to give something, whether I'm a Christian or not, I'm gonna give something away, well then I'm saying what I have is enough. And that, mm. one, helps make me content to say, I'm okay, right? I have what I need. And two, helps me be grateful for what I have. And so I think that that's, again, Jesus wants that for us. I think he calls us to it. But even if you don't want anything to do with Jesus, but you want to go start volunteering on Saturdays, hey, you know what? 10 to 2 on Saturday, I go and I serve food at the soup kitchen and you know I help financially support them. I think you're going to have that. I think you're going to find some more contentment and more gratitude. Uh, and I again, I think we need to be leaders in that because it's what we're called to be and it's what Jesus wants. But I don't think you have to necessarily be a Christian to do that. I, I've known some really, this is kind of against the data, but I've seen really generous non-Christian people, mm-hmm. you know, where they, they give and, and you show them an opportunity and they will give very generously because there's a need in front of them. Mm-hmm. And there's something in us that desires that. And it might be, we can attribute it to Jesus, they might not. But you know that leads us to those feelings of saying, "Hey, this is okay. I, I'm more content and I'm more mm. grateful for what I have." So,
1: so expl- you, earlier you mentioned the widow's might, and you just, you're talking about yeah. contentment and whatnot. So, explain. Can you, someone who may not be a Christian who's listening to this, or someone who is maybe earlier on in their faith journey, what does that mean, and and how does that apply to to this whole situation? Yeah.
2: Well, I think it means that. Contentment and gratitude aren't aren't numbers. They're mindsets. Those are mindsets that, you know, you can um, you can make you know, 250 grand, but if you live in a neighborhood where everybody else makes 500,000, you generally, it's really hard to be content. It's really hard uh, to feel grateful. I think that's, that is, you know, we're talking about sports. I think part of you get guys that go to the NFL for a couple of years and you think, oh, you're probably set for life. Well, they were making 400 grand, which is a lot to any of us around the table, I think. Um, but when you're with everybody else that's making 10 million and spending all that money, 400 doesn't really feel like that much. And so that's a thing i've come back to you know where i've seen people that made a lot more money than us and and they they're, they're struggling because they are looking at what they don't have and they're comparing to other people I've made a lot less money than we make right now and felt more content in that. So those are things we always think if I make this much then I will feel content and then I could give. If I feel, you know, again, once you feel content it starts to open that door to gratitude. Um, but it, it's not a number and it will always be just a little bit more than you make. There's been some really good uh, studies on that where, you know, people that make $50,000 a year think people that make $100,000 a year are rich and people that make $100,000 think two fifty dollars is rich and people that make two fifty. dollars you think you have to make a million, like you're never going to catch hmm. that if you decide that contentment is related to a number, you know, I mean, that's Paul said, I, I can be content no matter what the circumstances, like that's really the takeaway for us. And that's where we're trying to get our hearts is not to say, God, I'm three things away from being content, you know, like, and then I'll, then I'll be good. You get those three things. You're not, you're still not going to be content. It's just a, a tale that you're always going to chase. You know, before, this is this time's gone by really fast. Um,
0: So I'm gonna bring up something uh, semi-confrontational or. All right. um,
2: Is it about the Jets and the Bills?
0: uh, Probably not, but uh, (laughs) if we were bashing the Patriots, it'd be okay. That's fine, yeah, I'm here for that. But, uh, and then we'll close with this. You know, one of the things that just, I'm listening and I'm kind of reflecting on. um, So I look at, as a millennial and Gen Z, this whole student loan conversation. Yeah. And I'm not gonna make an argument for a policy. yeah, what what I will make an argument though, is for an understanding, yeah, because we we have a whole generation of people that were told, if you go to college, yeah, if you get good grades, you'll get a great job. Yeah. And I think that a lot of our skepticism, has been kind of rooted in, dare I say, the American dream. And not the American dream is bad. right? But I I think that part of this quote, why are Christians more generous than we think? You know, we're not just dealing with the lies that were given to the church. We're dealing with the reality of the world that we live in. Yeah. And you can debate that off the podcast, uh, you know, listeners. But I, I just kind of bring that up because our relationship with money as an American culture has shifted. And I, I don't think that we take time. We we want to debate the tactical issues without yes. kind of backing up and saying, you know, like, when my grandpa got his job at IBM, you know, like, he was there for, like, 30 years. Right. And it brings up all these other things, like the hustle culture, quiet quitting, great resignation. All of these things are in our culture right now, and they're kind of challenging all of our assumptions, And so for Christians in the church to kind of sit back instead of like overly engaging, the context has just changed. Right. I don't know. That's all I'm no,
2: saying. I think, I think there's definitely a point to discuss this in here because I think a lot of people are generous and they have a generous heart and they financially are in a corner where they really just don't feel like they can. Mm. I mean, how many people have a generous heart and would rather give to a community in Rwanda than their student loans that they have to pay every month? And and it r- is really hard to be generous when you don't feel like you have any margin. And so that's part of our overall picture. And I don't wanna give an endorsement to a t- particular person or program, But when I came to Northgate in uh, 2011, my wife and I had just taken a a financial program and I had a ton. I had 70 grand in student loans uh, from undergrad and grad, which felt like a millstone. I mean, I really felt like that. And I was like, well, 27 years left to pay these off. And we did that and we figured out a way that we lived like we were broke and we paid them off in about three years. And then, you know, then you start doing that, you start working to pay off the house. And guess what? It became a lot easier to be generous once I wasn't paying all that money to NELMAT every month. And so I think that is a part of the picture. And I think one of the things we did is we brought that program to our church and had over 400 people go through it. And we had a ton of people pay off their their student loans, pay off their cars, start buying their cars in cash, pay off their houses. And those people have been incredibly generous. But they've also done that financial work to have the margin in their lives where you can say, what, well, at 500 bucks? We can do that. That's fine. There are people. Five hundred bucks means that they're not getting gas in their car, or they're not making that that student loan payment. So I do think that that is a part of the picture. I thought of that when we were talking about the older and younger generations. I don't know a lot of you know a lot of boomers with student loans still, uh, but when you're talking about Gen X and millennials, and you get into that, it's a really significant part of their financial picture.
0: Mm. We love ending on cliffhangers like that, which yes. you know what that means. I got to come back. You got to come back. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a guy that used to work in Capitol Hill, so he'll set us straight with like the facts. Oh, so. good. Yeah, bring him in. <laughs> we can get another chair in here. Oh, that's right. So, um, so we always close with this question, which is, what does Jesus have to say about Christians being more dense than we think? So, like a great pastor, you get to clean up the mess that Aaron and I leave. So, All right. Whatever heresy or something like that. So, Aaron, who's going first?
1: Oh, don't we start with a pastor and then we'll get you you can sandwich me between <laughs> pastors. How about that?
0: Between two sermons, which is also on the Browncroft YouTube channel, <laughs> and then between two podcasts, between two ferns. I, sure. I could go all day. There so there go. we go. Why not? Uh, you know, as as I was thinking about this question about why are Christians more generous uh than we think and what does Jesus have to say about the topic? I I actually just want to tell the story that we Uh, referenced about Jesus sees this widow and she has a mite and that's kind of like a penny you know it's very very small and she drops it in and and Jesus tells his disciples and he tells the religious leaders that that she's given far more than anybody else and I just think that um, I've said what John has said too that generosity isn't something that God wants from us it's for us and so Yeah, I just want to encourage you as a leader or encourage you as a listener, you know, your reaction to this topic says more about you than it probably does about the actual issue. And I think if you've stayed this long, there's a challenge in that, that that God might be wherever you are in your faith journey. Generosity is a growth, just like understanding the Bible and prayer and all these important disciplines, because I, I think it reminds us that life is a gift. And um, yeah, that's where I'll go. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Peter. No, I, I think, um, you know, this is a similar point and you both made this point. I mean, I think Jesus, he wants us to give, but you know, just like you said, John, it's not, it's not because he needs our money. Right. He doesn't need our money. He's doing just fine. He's fine. (laughs) He's these, God is the creator of the universe. You know, he said so, but, but it's not something that we, he needs us to do. It's not something that we have to do to get any favor or anything like that. It's something we get to do. It's something he wants us to do. Not, not cause he wants, he wants us to feel like we're constricted, but because he wants to fill us up more. And I, I know there's, it sounds like, I think that sounds, it can sound like a foreign concept. But it's not something you can really understand unless you in, unless you dive in a little bit, kind of like what we were just right. talking about, and and um, and you get out of the scarcity mindset, yeah. Um, and you you know, I think that's healthy for anyone. But at the end of the day, I think that really comes from knowing God's God's going to take care of you, um, and uh, you can look to Him for that. And and Jesus wants us to grow as people that He wants us to be by getting to give. So.
2: Yeah. And that's scarcity mindset, right? I mean, I picture us as where the people walk around with a bucket full of water, And we're like, this is my bucket. I worked hard for this. I need this. And there's a fountain right there that God can just fill the bucket up 10,000 times if he wants to. And we become so enamored with the contents of our bucket, much more than the person that can fill it and can empty it and refill it over and over. Because that's, yeah, for me, I mean, what Jesus says about this is is Matthew 6, 21 is where your treasure is. That's where your heart's going to be too. And that for me is the biggest thing. And as I said, I mean, I, I, my natural bent apart from Jesus is materialism. Mm. Like I know that. And so like, you know, you go to, if something caused you to sin, you cut it off. You go to that passage and say, all right, well, we're always going to tithe. And I wish I could download that. I wish there's like a zip drive and I could give it to someone that hasn't done that and say, listen, I'm not pushing anything. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I've just experienced it. And if you could experience that as well, then you'd be in the same boat. And there's not really a way to do it. You have to experience it. You have to really take those steps out in faith and say, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give. I'm going to do it for a month or two months or six months and just see what God does. Uh, Because otherwise you can sit in the sidelines, you know, and be a skeptic and just say, I'm never going to do it, but you're never going to experience it. And so that's, you know... Gee, that's what Jesus encourages us, is just to make sure it doesn't have your heart. And and I know if I stop tithing, my money and my stuff would have my heart so quick. Mm-hmm. And so every month, you know, it's the first of the month. It was the first check I wrote this month, you know, in my ESL app. It's the first thing that I do is, is write the tithe check for everything that we're gonna make that month and just say, God, this this starts with you. This comes from you. We trust you to do it, trust you to be faithful and you know, and go from there. And I gotta, because I'm a Methodist, I have to give one Wesley quote. He said, when I have money, I get rid of it quickly so it doesn't have me, hmm. you know? And it's, it's not, don't save, right? Save and be smart with your money, but just make sure it doesn't become the contents of your bucket is like, this is mine and I gotta keep it and no one else can touch it. Cause God's gonna say, I kinda want that bucket just because I want to know that you love me more than you love the bucket and what's in it. And I'll fill it up again. I'll fill it five, 10 times if I need to, you know, we, we got more, we can do that. But I just want to know that you love me more than you love that.
0: You threaded the needle with a bucket and a John Wesley quote. There's no better way to close. All right. So um, tell BT Roberts, you know, right, there, right yeah. there. Anyways, John, where can people find you if they want to follow you?
2: Uh, Instagram at John D Keller. It's private because I have, I have three really cute daughters. So, you know, you got to ask, you got to request it, which is fine. And uh, Facebook, I'm on there as well. Um, yeah, I'm not a super exciting follow. I mostly post about my kids and, and stuff like that. But I stay out of trouble online these days. He,
0: uh, he likes to bust my chops because early in the season Zach Wilson was doing well and then uh, he wasn't but I'll let you all find that online (laughs) yes yeah Uh,
2: follow that just follow Pete so that uh, I can occasionally take shots at the Jets (laughs) in less than subtle
0: ways (laughs) on that note you can find us at whygotoypodcast.com click the subscribe button put your email you'll get this episode and many others thank you so much for joining us